Can you understand their decisions are their decisions? You have plenty to work on yourself. This is Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Colin Aubin. I originally connected with Colin when he was a thrower at UNH, and he's done an amazing job of kind of spreading the knowledge in the underground world of throwing and kind of bringing it all to light. Colin has experience in both the strength and conditioning realm and the throwing world. And if you know anything about the throwing world, you know a lot of times those worlds are super connected. And today we kind of talked about that connection. What's what's important in the throwing world? Uh, how much do we need to emphasize the weight room? And then we also dove into kind of Colin's experience of how to make it. And I think it was really interesting to hear him talk about it because he's in it right now. He's he's in the aspect of everybody talks about the grind. Everybody talks about doing the hard things, but he's actually living it and he's going through it right now and really trying to make it and establish himself as a throwing coach. And I think it's a really I think it's a powerful and really insightful podcast uh, for young strength coaches out there that are still in college, that are still athletes on what can you do now? What can you do now to make some connections? What can you do now to kind of pave yourself a path forward to make that next step as a strength coach? Hopefully you guys were able to get something out of this podcast. And as always, thank you guys for listening. I will right, well, coach. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Happy we finally got to do this, even though it took us uh, 20 minutes to figure out what time zone we both lived in. <laughs> meeting time. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm used to having a bunch of people from the West Coast and I almost jacked that up. So it's East good on you. Out here, out here from the Beast Coast, East Coast life. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got into the role you got into, how you got into this weird world of uh, throwing and the hammer? Yeah, man. Throwing is a niche, a niche community. Uh, as, uh, as Matt Vincent, two-time world champion in the Highland Games like to say we're just a bunch of dudes throwing rocks in a field <laughs> yeah I started throwing in high school uh, I am from Rhode Island originally and uh, Rhode Island has a proud history as being one of the only high school uh, states that throws the hammer in high school uh, there's a lot of safety reasons that limit um, the events that high school track programs will run a lot of them won't throw uh, like the javelin or the hammer or pole vault, or you have to pole vault with helmets. And there's just a lot of weird rules. Rhode Island is uh, the wild west in high school athletics, I guess, where we, we have everything. We can, we can do whatever we want. So uh, in, in high school, I, uh, I wanted to play basketball. I realized that I was uh, too fat and slow to play basketball and short. Uh, I'm five, seven, unless you're a girl listening, then I'm six, one. Um, <laughs> So started uh, started throwing the shot put and discus in uh, my freshman year, indoor and outdoor. Outdoor for the discus, through that for two years was uh, bad, real real bad. Um, and then uh, I owe a lot of my life. There's there's two parts of the story that involve my friend Brandon Brandon Amo, uh, University of Rhode Island graduate, now current high school uh, private throws coach. And uh, Brandon one day came up to me and said, "Hey, we're we're gonna go over and throw hammer." And I was like, we, he's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to go through hammer. Like you and I we're we're, we're really bad at discus. We need to just go switch events and just try something new. And Brandon's a year, my senior. So he's a junior at this point where trying to be discus throwers and just for, for distances, if anybody knows, I was throwing like around hundred feet in the discus, which in high school is very bad. Uh, you will not get recruited or looked at pretty much from any school unless you can throw about 160. So we're not anywhere near it, but I thought I was going to get there eventually. So it takes some convincing. I go over and I start throwing hammer and I get decent at it, but I definitely get bit by the bug. And, uh, the throwing bug is something that every thrower gets bit by. Eventually it's the same bug in every sport, the baseball bug, the football bug, which bit you and, uh, just fell in love with it. I had two outstanding high school coaches that were just great, great people and great coaches that really pushed us and developed our program. I went to an all guys high school too. So there was a lot of testosterone flowing around. Um, and those practices were fun. They were intense. Uh, it's how I started lifting. We, we trained hard. We sweat our butts off. Um, and it was great. Ended up eventually, uh, looking at schools for college, ended up being a decent high school, uh, thrower. There wasn't a ton of people nationally through high school hammer. So like on the national ranking, I looked really good, but you know, there's maybe 5,000 people that throw high school hammer versus, you know, 170,000 that throw shot put. I'm making these numbers up, but it, it's nowhere near the amount of 
people that throw other events. So it's, it's easy to appear higher up on those lists to get looks. Uh, ended up uh, coming to the University of New Hampshire, where I competed for four years. Uh, again, a pretty mediocre thrower. Found myself in my junior-ish year, um, kind of starting to program for myself a little bit. And uh, other people on the team... Uh, just taking a little bit of a different leadership role. And by program, I mean like just the, the day-to-day stuff, um, like especially accessories. Um, we have one of the best hammer coaches in the United States at UNH. Uh, my head coach, Coach Jim Belanger. Uh, the guy's a legend in the throwing community, in the track community, especially in New Hampshire. He's been the head coach at UNH for, I think, 33 years now. Um, and the man's smart. The man's smart. Um, and I, he taught me a lot about throwing my first two, three years to the point where I, um, was able to kind of go off my own a little bit, very much under his guidance and program kind of that accessory stuff, the extra stuff, just trying to do that extra 5%. So I do everything he would tell me to do. And then I'd always be looking for extra hours to put in time here and there, um, going definitely outside that 20 hour a week rule, but we won't talk about that, um, in training. And I just lived at the field house. Uh, my entire college career. I was there probably seven hours a day, just like doing stuff. Half the time, just messing around. Sometimes I would just do my homework in his office, but I just wanted to soak up every nugget of knowledge that he had um, because I would go to war for this man when it came to throwing. I would do anything he told me to do. I, when I would start to figure out my accessories that I wanted to do, I'd run them by him and make sure that they were all good. And we would just go back and forth on things. It was great. Uh, by the time I was a senior, I had completely fallen in love with the weight room as well and that side of training. And I started to think about what I wanted to do after I graduated because I was about 30 meters away from throwing professionally, which is a lot again, for people who don't know, very mediocre thrower. Um, and, uh, I figured, well, I might as well stay in the, in the industry, in the field a little bit. Let me go the strength and conditioning route. So I started studying for my CSCS. Um, I emailed literally every power five strength, Olympic strength program, every single head coach with a personalized, uh, cover letter and my resume. It took forever to do this. Um, eventually heard back from like three or four, uh, Texas A&M was one. Um, don't remember the other one that had serious interest and then Mississippi state had interest in me and uh, ended up heading down there to volunteer for football. Actually Uh, in about a week, I realized that I don't want to be a football strength coach and I miss Olympic sports. So moved over to Olympic training conditioning, Uh, stayed there for a year, considered staying um, like pretty indefinitely there, uh, there was talks about some GA positions moving around, which was again, my ultimate goal when I was literally emailing every single power five strength conditioning coach was hopefully to get a GA spot that either did or didn't exist on their program. I figured maybe I'll just swoon them with classy, uh, cover letters and stories and emails. Um, and they'll create a position for me, which I mean, Hey, just throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks. Right. The least they can say is no, or the worst they can say is no but decided at the end of the day that I needed to come back and start my career as a throwing coach because, uh, and somewhere along the way, I'll include this in the story too, just to come full circle, that that same friend, Brandon, who dragged me over to throw hammer on that day when I didn't want to is the same person one Thanksgiving break where we were talking about what we wanted to do with life. And I was like, Oh, like I'm, I'm going to go be a strength coach. He looked me dead in the eye and he was like, you're not going to be a strength coach. You're going to end up being a throws coach. Like just, just give it some time. Like, I don't know why you're wasting your time, but give it some time. You'll realize eventually that you're going to end up being a throws coach. And sure as shit, here I am back at UNH in my uh, second season helping out with the throws. And uh, up until uh, big Rona, the coronavirus uh, hit, I, that's where I spent more than you know 60 hours a week at UNH uh, coaching the throws, doing what I love. That's pretty much where we're at today. Uh, immediately, presently, uh, I'm a bartender because there's no uh, throws to coach, uh, which is awful. Uh, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like dealing with people in that setting, but it pays the bills. And, uh, that's the non-sexy side people don't want to hear about when it comes to young coaches is what you have to do to get to the roles that you want to be in. And, uh, you have to eat a lot of poop to get to where you want to be. So right now the poop that I'm eating is dealing with tourists on vacation 
uh, serving them lobster rolls and Bud Lights, which is, again, not ideal, but it'll pay off eventually. And uh, that's where we're at. How was that? Was that good? That was good. I love that. Okay. We, had a little, we had a little humor. We had a little story. We had a little background. I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take and I'm going to dive down a couple of these rabbit holes. And the first one I want to do is that just start where you just left off there is that little bartender part. And I think, like you said, it's the part that everybody kind of wants to glance over. Everybody kind of wants to like, they talk about the grind, but a lot of people really want to embrace that grind and do what you're doing. And I think it's important to, I thought, and we talked a little bit about it before the podcast, but how you are actually in it right now. Like a lot of the strength coaches, the young guys in college, like are looking forward and they see the guys that have already made it uh, big time, like these big power five coaches, they see them and they're like, Oh man, like that's, that's going to be a tough grind, but they, they, they're not actually in it right now. Like you're in it. Sure. And I think that's a really important part to touch on is like, whatever path you decide to do in this field, like at some point you're going to have to make some big sacrifices for hopefully a big reward. But uh, the willingness to make that sacrifice has to be something that you have to accept in this field, in any coaching field. hundred percent. Uh, I definitely think that in, unless you are in the top 0.00, whatever 1% in your sport and people all over the U S know who you are in your sport. Like you are the top college, whatever in your event, you're the top college linebacker you're the top college shot putter unless you're that person or somebody very close to that person you're probably not going to find that cushy job right out of college it's just not going to exist and you're going on top of that you're more than most likely going to have to work for free in a job that's worth working so there are positions that are that are open right um i've gotten a couple offers at at some some schools for some full-time paid positions and that's just not the right fit at UNH in my current role, while I'm not a salaried employee, I'm getting 10 times more out of that role than I would be in one of these smaller positions. So because I don't need to do a lot of the behind the scenes work, I get to devote way more time to the stuff that I, A, like, and B, is going to actually help me develop as a young coach rather than being the guy, the low guy on the totem pole where all I do is schedule the bus and figure out what the team's going to do for food when we're on the road. I get to put more effort and emphasis into actual coaching time uh, next to the circle, time in the weight room, learning about these kids both in and out of uh, training, actually developing that relationship versus, well, I'm only here for three hours today because then I have to go do all of this administrative stuff. And for what I'm doing right now, that's, that's the best case scenario. It also allows me to do things like travel when I can and not need to be in the office when I want to go like visit Coach Judd Logan, which I got to do in January, and a bunch of other trips that I had planned that had to get, get canceled to, to visit some other people that I met in the community and continued that network. And um, yeah, it's, it's really the not sexy stuff that is what's going to make you a, a, a good candidate as a young coach going forward in a, in, in like a bigger role, which in the same way mirrors strengths as a whole where like, yeah, it's cool watching those max lifts on Instagram, but like how many sets of 10 and 12 did you do at low percentage to get to that one awesome Instagram video where you're screaming your head off and racking the bar aggressively? Like you don't need to, we all know that you don't need to actually the bar and the rack, but you still have to do it. It's part of the process. Um, it's, it's the exact same scenario. And the people who are willing to put that introductory work in, I think are going to be the ones that actually get to those cushy roles. So right now, because of social media and because of people's followings, there's definitely more applications getting put towards all of those jobs. I remember when I was at Mississippi state getting uh, taught like in that GA like conversation, if I was going to stay there, if that would even be uh, something that would be offered to me when they posted the position, the head coach got, over a hundred applications in like the first couple hours. Like that's, that's insane. You really got to find a way to stand out. So if you're not actually out there doing the internships and volunteering and putting that time in to meet people, not just have a list of letters after your last name, you're not going to, you're not going to get there. You're going to go right in the no pile. Yeah. And that's, that's something we talked about a little bit before. And I think it's important because I know there's a lot of young strength coaches listening and I say young, like we're, we're both young as strength coaches, but mm -hmm. 
young as in they're still in college and they're still maybe they're still uh, college. They know they want to be a strength coach, but they're in athletics yet. And they're not that top 1% of athletes. And that's something that we talked about is like the real way to network and the real way to when you're an athlete, when you are actually still in it, still in the sports performance realm, but you know, you want to make this your path. Like what are some things that you recommend for people to do during that situation? Like during that time when they're an athlete, like you said, like you were, you were sitting there soaking up and creating a relationship with your coach that went deeper than just showing up to practice and learning and absorbing and doing these things. Like what are, what's some advice you can give to some of these strength coaches, future strength coaches that they can do right now that they're, well, they're in college and they're trying to build this network and they're trying to do these things. You have to find a way to make the little things you can do easily impactful. So while sending somebody your resume and handing them a business card and being like, Hey, I'm Colin. I coach at UNH. I'm looking for a full-time paid position next spring. Here's my card. Give me a call. While that's great, and there's definitely a time and place for that, there's also equally a place for you to send somebody a message on Instagram commenting on a video they posted of one of their athletes being like, hey, coach, hope everything's going well. Uh, I just had a quick question about this throw and this particular part of the throw. Could you help me understand that a little bit better? Because I think that could help me in a different way. Or, hey, coach, I saw you posted a picture at a coffee house. Uh, I'll check it out next time I'm there. Like, thanks for the recommendation. Like, as, as silly as that stuff sounds... I honestly believe that that stuff is 10 times more important than sending somebody your resume and just building that connection. There's definitely a fine line between being annoying and actually being inquisitive, but that making the little things really matter. And if you do get to meet some of these like quote unquote celebrity throws coaches, like making, let me give an example. This is probably the the best way to do it. Right. So I really look up to coach Seb uh, from Texas, right? He coaches Valerie Allman. Uh, she just broke the American record uh, in the discus like 10 days ago, right? I love this guy. This guy's a superstar. He has stud athletes. He also coaches uh, Adrian Pippery, uh, US champion in the shot put as a sophomore. Like he's legit. And I want to meet this guy. And I know he loves coffee. So at USA's, after USA's, he was there for both Val uh, and Trip that weekend. Uh, I sent him a message on Instagram. We'd only talked like once or twice. And I said, coach, you coming to the circle today? I'm stopping at uh, Starbucks. I'm going to get you a coffee. How do you take it? And like, he could have like blown that off or whatever, but like, that's something that he's probably not going to hear from every day. And it's just such like a casual thing. Even if he says no, it's not about the cup of coffee. He knows that I want to meet him and talk to him. But that's such a much more organic way than like, I think walking up to somebody being like, hello, I'm Cullen. Nice to meet you. Versus we have this common ground that we can come to and just finding, finding a way to just relate on, on certain things and certain topics and asking good questions, not just a lot of questions. Yeah. And I think there's two, two points that I, I really like. And I, I love how you, you, you pointed that out um, of the, the, the aspect of if you're going to ask a question or you're going to reach out, like don't reach out asking for something, you know, like uh, it, it, if you're going to do it in a way of like, I'm interested in what you're doing. I'm, I'm actually gonna have a good question and I'm not expecting anything out of you. I'm not expecting like a job offer, a GA. And that's where a lot of people go from, you and I never met each other before, now hire me, you know? And that, that's kind of right. like the process they see. Whereas be like, actually be curious, actually ask them a question. This is one of my favorite things on a podcast is like, I just get to bring on coaches like yourself and just ask questions that I'm actually interested in and get value out of that. And then you build a relationship off of that. But it's not the, it's not the just, hey, like I'm Austin, hire me, let's go, like, let's go forward. And then the other thing is like, in the smallest way possible, if you're trying to meet, like you're trying to meet that master coach, how can you provide them some value? Like sure. the, the, the value, the value that you provide is not going to be, Hey coach, I think your thrower should be doing that. Like, dude, like he's not going to listen to anything you have to say in that aspect. The value exactly. in that moment you can provide is, Hey, I can get you a coffee. Hey, I can do something for you. And then that's how you build that relationship by providing some value for somebody that can give you so much value back in the knowledge, in the relationship, in the connections that they have. And, and, and to, to use your network, because throwing such a niche 
community where it's it, it's it's big as as in like it stretches nationally internationally but it's small as in like chances are somebody knows somebody who knows the person that you want to meet right so like my friend lewis trains under coach jed logan legendary throws coach in the u.s 81 meter thrower four-time olympian the guy's a legend i know that he trains with him i want to go visit my friend lewis i also really want to spend even if it's two minutes with coach jed logan just to say hey went into it expecting to literally shake his hand, maybe ask for a photo if the time was right, just because this guy is somebody that I've looked up to for forever. And go as far as let's try to watch a, a, a practice to actually watch him coach. So I text Lewis, say, hey, I want to come visit next weekend. Keep in mind, I have to drive nine hours to do this each way. Um, hey, I want to come visit next weekend. Do you think Coach Logan will be around and will give me two minutes? He says, I don't know. Here's his email. Email him. I email him with, with that exact expectation, like, hey, I would love to just meet you even if it's for two minutes. Like, is that okay? He can absolutely say no. And if he did, that's still a connection that I made there because he knows that I was willing to go there. And I was going to go there and visit Lewis regardless, even if I couldn't go see Coach Logan. But the fact that I'm willing to put the effort in, maybe the next time that I'm at a meet that he's at, he'll think like, man, that kid looks familiar. That kid sounds familiar. And maybe if I do get the chance to go up to him and say, hey, Coach, sorry, I didn't see you last time I was up you know, I'll let you know next time I'm in town, maybe we can hook up again that time and, and see, you know, if, if I can talk to you for a few minutes next time. Like stuff like that, I think is really important to talk about the little things, make the little things impactful and use your network because somebody knows somebody who you want to talk to. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I want to transition this a little bit into the, the throwing world and I'm, I'm going to take it off something that you said. You, you talked about the work that you see behind the scenes and in the throwing world, especially, you'll, you'll see a lot of people post on Instagram that like 80 meter throw, that huge PR that they hit, but we're missing a lot of the buildup that actually happens to hit that throw. I'm interested in what that buildup looks like for you. What really matters in the world of sports performance, in the world of throwing, in the world of hammer throwing, discus throwing, shot put, like what matters for throwers in how we train them the, the, in the weight room, on the field? Like what's, what's kind of your approach? So I have what I would consider a, a pretty normal philosophy on throwing where I'm, I'm pretty down the middle of the aisle on like the extreme. We have to go super hard, 365. It's max reps all the time, heavy, heavy lifting. And like some of the, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, like the Mike Boyle approach where like, it's like, you know, bands and the Tom, the, TB12 method where it's like bands and a lot of single leg unloaded stuff, body weight movements. There's a place for both of those things. And I think finding the right balance, especially for you, an individual athlete is important, but finding the right balance for a thrower uh, is super important. So uh, I guess the way I would describe my training is like a modified triphasic training from Cal. Uh, I got to meet Cal and pick his brain. He he has since gone on to, I've listened to a couple interviews with him since then, explain that like triphasic, like there's no such thing as like modifying triphasic because triphasic training is supposed to be modified, which I'm like, okay, yeah, duh, that makes a lot more sense. But uh, I'm not doing a whole lot of the, uh, if you remember Sean's old videos, I'm not, I don't think it's as important for 99% of throwers, 90% of my population where I'm developing kids uh, to do those like, you know, 800 pound single leg split squats, ISOs for seven seconds. Maybe that's a little too much, but definitely incorporating some sort of um, triphasic system going from uh, eccentrics to isometrics to explosive concentric speed and power stuff. I think that all needs to be there. Uh, I also think that you need to lift heavy often within that realm. So while we're still going to be doing some eccentrics at like 70% and stuff, I think a lot of the accessories need to be relatively heavy. Um, I think all of your accessories need to be in that uh, hypertrophy range and not really getting into that um, muscular endurance range, like in the 12 plus, 15 plus rep range. Stuff that I do now to look less fat um, now that I'm done throwing. Uh, and I think you need to Olympic lift. Um, I really don't see a system that works without some sort of Olympic lifting. I don't think you need to do traditional snatch and clean and jerk. I think there's a lot of ways you can um, modify the Olympic lifts to generate the same power that you would as an Olympic weightlifter to transition that into the throw. Because in, in every sport that's not powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, I guess, bodybuilding, 
the weight room is still GPP, right? Like the actual sport is the sport and everything else is accessory, which includes the weight room. However, I think throwing is such a short burst of, of energy. A lot of your time needs to be spent in the weight room to build up that base for that, you know, I think you're throwing hammer for like four to seven seconds or something like that. I'm probably way off on the calculation, but um, there's a lot of behind the scenes and most of it I think needs to come from the weight room doing those, those power movements, those Olympic movements in some sort of triphasic training with a speed and power phase to, to peak, not taper peak. That's, that's my cut and drive, I guess, philosophy on, on throwing. I think a lot of different things work for a lot of different people. I know a lot of my friends who coach run completely different training systems. Um, the Michigan guys are in the weight room twice a week, but it's for like four hours per session. Um, I know people who are in the weight room for 20 minutes, you know, six days a week. Um, and we run a four day split where we're in there for like 70 minutes. So like there's, there's definitely different ways to find success. That's the way I like to do it in my current scenario. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit. And you, you said the actual sport is a sport. And we talked a little bit before the podcast on this, but talking about how a lot of throwers are kind of just thrown into the weight room and then treated like either football players or they're treated like power lifters. And absolutely. How can we treat throwers like throwers and train them for their sport? And how do we traditionally get this wrong? Well, a lot of it is that in, in, in most schools that aren't these cushy power five schools, the, the strength coach is just a football guy who likes the weight room a little bit more than everybody else. And that's the strength coach. Like these stereotypes are real. So we need to find people that understand the throwing events to coach the throwers in the weight room, which is why a lot of times the throws coach is the strength coach in the throwing community at most colleges, I would say, because it's such a niche event, A, and B, there's a lot of ego there too, which we don't need to get into, but we definitely can of having to coach your own team in the weight room. But like, that's not a thing on other teams, right? Like if you're on a swimming and diving team, the diving coach isn't your strength coach. If you're a baseball player as the pitcher, your, your, your pitching coach isn't your strength coach. It's a, it's a different person. Almost, almost always, I would say there's probably a couple scenarios where that's the same thing, but it just happens to be the overlap. So why is it that the throwing community is so big on having the throws coach be the strength coach? And I'm, I'm all for it. I think that is the best setting because there's so much power output coming in your, in your actual practice in the throwing circle or on the runway for the javelin. Like you really need to monitor how much intensity is going into those trainings. And those strength coaches don't always understand that where like you could have just had a crazy heavy throwing session, right? Where you're throwing heavy implements, which is taxing, taking a lot of throws, which is taxing or doing a ton of drill work, which is again, taxing and then going to do a heavy weight room day. Like you're going to be dead, dude. Your CNS is fried. You're just shot for the whole week just because your throws coach and the strength coach either didn't communicate or just have completely fundamental differences on training. And you know, Monday is squat day for the strength coach, but Monday is also heavy volume day. And there's some schools of thought that say that those should line up, but I'm talking about the scenarios where they don't line up um, just to be clear on that. So how do we fix that? I, I'm not sure. I think as technology increases and um, as track kind of gains a little bit more ground, I, I hope to see that switch a little bit more. I don't know if that switch is going to be just having more strength coaches know about throwing or, or what. There's definitely uh, usually a big disconnect there between the weight room and the event where they should really be like, the same thing. They should be super integrated because like I said, half of more than half of throwing happens in the weight room. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is the number one thing we talk about with a lot of football coaches though as well. And I think we get away with it more in the football world because there's 11 people on the field. There's a lot of things that are going on and most it's usually both sides of the football team are usually physically wrecked, but it's the, like you said, like the strength coach that says Monday is squat day. And then you have the football coach that says, well, that's our super high intensity day or it's where our practices and our sports performance realm of things, they're not lining up and you have that disconnect and two coaches arguing the person in the middle is the athlete that's getting pulled apart. And in the throwing world, I think you see it way more obviously because it's one person throwing one event, you know, like it's, sure. it's right in front of your eyes and you get to see it. So I think 
it's nice that in the throwing world, we, we get a little bit more of the holistic approach with the throwing coach, usually being the strength coach. And I think this is where we need to transition to, to that. Either the strength, the strength coach has to understand and reverse engineer the sport of throwing to where everybody's on the same page or the throwing coach has to be the strength coach to keep it truly holistic. And there's not, like you said, the major disconnect because if both people, both coaches have the perfect program in quotations, there's no perfect program, but they both sure. had the perfect program and they're completely dragging that athlete in the wrong direction. It, like you're never going to go anywhere. And the only person that suffers is that athlete. It's not the right. coaches, you know, like it's, it's that athlete in the middle being torn apart by the two coaches. And a lot of times like the, the athletes, like college athletes are type A people, you know, like they're going to be bought into it. Like j- just to kind of go back to like when I was talking about in my intro, I would, I would die for my coach if he told me to just do it. Like I was bought into every single word that he said and everything is true and correct. And that was the way it was. So let's say that you're completely bought into the fact that your coach is telling you to do all of this heavy movement and all of this uh, extra stuff. And then you're going in the weight room and that coach is doing the same thing. And you're completely bought into his philosophy or her philosophies at the same time. Like you're just going to blow up. Your chance is going to be completely fried. Then you have to be able as an athlete to kind of figure out where the right lane to be in is. And that's super wrong. Like, the athlete shouldn't have to think about anything other than just doing their event right in a perfect world. There shouldn't be this like flow state of kind of coming back and forth just to make everybody happy. And that's where it gets really screwed up. I also just want to touch on one thing that just because I feel like there needs to be a bigger focus on the weight room. I'm not talking cause if I didn't say this, I'd be upset. Uh, I'm not talking about like necessarily doing more volume. Like I'm, I'm not saying that more time in the weight room means like more stuff. Um, because I think that there is a lot of throwers or th- throws programs where they're just lifting super heavy. Like there, I've seen videos of throwers like lifting in squat suits, like squatting 800 pounds for singles, like in multiply. You don't need to do that. Uh, I, I think like 99% of people would agree that that's, that's probably a little ridiculous. So when I say more time in the weight room than other events or other sports, even I'm not saying, uh, like more stuff. I'm just saying a greater percentage of your if we're looking at like a one day microcycle uh, is spent in the weight room. Just had to clarify that. No. Yeah. And I, I like that point. And I think I'm going to take you the, the other route now a little bit too, is the aspect of that athlete that only spends their time in the weight room now. Uh, and I think this is probably a little bit of like me when I threw um, spending way too much time on the strength, on the output aspect side of things on increasing our power and not enough time on the actual sport itself and becoming a PhD of throwing the hammer of throwing the disc. How do you balance that as a coach? How do you balance, like what's kind of your thought process of making sure they become PhDs in their sport, they become PhDs in the technical work that is required of throwing the hammer of throwing the disc of throwing the shot put. Well, I think if you have a kid that like loves, loves the weight room, I don't think you need to necessarily draw them away from that love of, of, of the weight room and to that, to, to switch to the more technical elements of, of the throws and make them a PhD in, in, in technique. I think you need to be creative as a coach in that scenario and just do more stuff in the weight room. Like who's to say, like you can trick kids really easily. Like we all do it as coaches. There's ways that you can get people to believe like stuff that they had no idea they were ever going to do. It's just using psychology and being a smart coach and like, a little deceitful at the same time, which is kind of fun. Cause when somebody's so anti something and then you show them something else and they end up being like, Oh, I think we should do this. And that, this is the thing you were trying to get them to do originally. You can just snicker to yourself because it's hilarious and kids are silly. So there's ways as a coach where you can just do more stuff in the weight room. That's going to directly help their throwing. That's not lifting. Let's just do all of our drill work in the weight room with 45 pound plates instead of 45 pound hammers or shot puts. Let's just change our, um, you know, light dynamic shot put throws against the wall to uh, like taking like a D ball or a jam jammer ball and just doing that in the weight room instead. Like there's definitely ways you could be creative to do it. It was actually a problem where you just have an athlete who doesn't want to, excuse me, doesn't want to um, like spend time in the circle, then they're just not going to get better. At the end of the day, you do have to under- let them come to the realization that they need that drill work. And that's the stuff that's actually going to matter. It's the stuff that's not sexy, but I definitely think there are ways you can trick people into believing that. I don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but that's what I'm sticking with for right now. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the, the, like, what are you kind of seeing 
like, what are you having to trick your athletes almost into doing? Like, what is the biggest piece technique wise? I want to emphasize this as like, because you're a throwing coach and you're one of the few throwing coaches that we had on, like, is it just repetitions to get that athlete to master that sport, to master what they're doing? Is that, is that kind of your approach with that? Like how? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's the reps. It's, um, it's not, it's, so maybe tricking is the wrong scenario here. I worked a little better with the weight room analogy, but like when it comes to like the technique work, like when I have a freshman come in to learn the hammer for the first time, they don't touch a hammer for the first three weeks. Like it's really hard to make that fun. Like nobody, nobody wants to not throw if their sport is throwing. That'd be like taking football people and being like, we're going to go ride Peloton inside today instead of, I don't know, doing Oklahoma drills. I don't know what you football people do. Um, So finding ways to make the drills fun is really challenging. And it just honestly takes a special athlete who's going to understand that there's something else happening behind the scenes in a weird way that's going to uh, make me a better thrower in the future, knowing that all these silly drills that I have a a broomstick in my hand and I'm throwing a traffic cone into a side of a net, which is what I had uh, my my freshman do for three weeks. And he still laughs about it because he got really good technique at the end of it that that's going to make me a better athlete if I just listen to coach and trust coach. And a lot of that comes on the back end of coaching, being present, listening to their, you know, issues in the classroom, figuring out what's happening with that boyfriend or girlfriend. Like if you care about that stuff, they're, they're just going to be like, yes, coach. Like I'm going to go throw a traffic cone today, coach. Like, absolutely. I'm going to go do that for you. Like, yes, I'm going to go push the shopping cart up and down the street because our prowler doesn't work. Like, those are the relationships that, that really matter as cliche and cheesy as it is, because that's the only way you're going to get people to have fun doing those drills that are not fun, that, that suck because they're hanging out with coach. Like they're spending time with coach. They know it's going to be better. And they know that when they're with coach, they have a good time. Yeah. And like you said, if they're, if they're willing to run through a wall and then you're a coach that can put them in environments to learn and at the end of the day, get the results that they want to see that, that, that buy-in is going to go through the roof. Definitely. Absolutely. And then the last kind of question in the sports performance round, and this one I love asking the guests is kind of what has been your biggest eye opener recently in training? Maybe it's the past year, maybe it's the past six months, maybe it's something quarantine's taught you about coaching, but kind of what's been your biggest eye opener recently? I don't know how, how, how recent this is, but I, I've changed a lot on, uh, just to be very specific to throwing, if I understand the question right, is uh, lowering volume of, of heavy implements. I don't think uh, is a bad idea for, for most people. I think we get really caught up in trying to make people specifically strong. Specific strength is something that gets thrown around a lot in the throwing world and like doing some of those really, really heavy throwing reps. I don't really think is that important as people seem, as people, uh, seem to believe, I guess, where the speed side of things I have found, at least with the people, my athletes at at their current level in the mid-major world that we live in, that doing lighter stuff really fast is a lot more beneficial than doing heavy stuff really slow in pretty much every scenario, whether it be in the weight room, uh, in different times of the year, of course, or in the circle, that those, those light balls and those light implements that we drill with, uh, that's, that's been the biggest change in my programming. Because when I was a freshman and sophomore, I just wanted to get specifically strong. I was doing core work with like a hundred pound plates and, you know, big heavy sets of 20 and, uh, just making my back sore pretty much was what it was accomplishing. I wasn't actually targeting any, any core work or stability or whatever you want to call it at all. Just making myself tired and thinking that I'm working hard because this is heavy weight you don't need to do that as much as people think. And I think that's been my biggest shift in coaching from a strictly like numbers coaching perspective. Yeah. And I think that uh, it ties in really well to Bill Miller, who we had on the podcast last week. And he talked all about the like force velocity realm of training an athlete. And I think you see a lot of throwers, uh, unless they're really, really powerful and really, really awesome, but they're going to be the bigger guys that are very force dominant. And when you give them a heavy implements, they're like, that's going to be a way less of a drop off than when you give them that light implement. I just remember the first time I was throwing a light implement, like I could throw an 18 and 20 pound hammer pretty close to a 16 pound hammer because I was so force dominant. I would grab a light hammer and it would almost be like, I would, it would go farther just because it was lighter. But the, the drop off that you see when you go to a lighter one. And I think this is where you see it. Like if you start to work that velocity aspect and the velocity realm of things with throwers more, 
you're going to see a huge increase. And obviously it depends which athlete you're working with, but I think just generally you're going to see a lot more force dominant athletes in the throwing world than the velocity dominant athletes. Yeah, you, you, you have to, when you're thinking about these, these shot putters, they're putting so many pounds of force into an area, the size of a softball, pretty much like how do you transfer like a bench press where you're producing force at a much greater area? Or if you're a football player using, um, what's the, uh, the rack attachment, the difference with the spring in there, like it's a smaller area, the shot put even smaller still. So how are we going to be able to transfer all of that force into one area and much you gotta move faster, yeah. move faster, you know? And it, it is harder to throw a lighter ball. It absolutely is. I used to say that the 18 pound hammer is great because it puts you in the right position compared to the 16. I actually, my training PR with the 18 is further than my meet PR with the 16. That's a different rabbit hole. We're not going to go down because it's a different podcast about my throwing accolades and how mentally an idiot I am with throwing and competing, especially. Um, but yeah, definitely. It's way harder to throw lighter implements and, uh, people need to do more of it <laughs> overall. I think I don't like to tell people how to, how to coach or how to train, uh, throw light balls. They're good for you. Yep. I like that. And we can transition into the rapid fire round now. And these are the same questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is kind of some of your, your maybe favorite book or favorite books that you think the listeners can get a lot out of. These can be sports performance books or just life books in general. Big fan of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Hell yeah. Uh, that's definitely. <laughs> uh, so reading is something that I like to do uh, just because it, it's relaxing. I don't like a lot of the books I read. That sounds awful. Um, I don't know. What have I read recently? I read Chris Duffin's book, The Eagle and the Dragon. That was really solid. You should read that. Uh, I just read a book on ultra running that was pretty good uh, called Born to Run, which is uh, decent. Um, I read a book about wine lately, just trying to broaden the horizons, kind of get away from all of the, uh, the strength stuff. Back when I was coaching every day, I would spend the first 45 minutes to an hour reading uh, an article directly about strength or throwing and then an article about a sport that's not throwing or strength. So I would uh, go on like the databases that I still have access to from UNH or Mississippi State or whatever that I still have the passwords to, which is nice. And, um, <laughs> and uh, find a strength article, uh, read about hypertrophy or whatever, something, anything, core development, whatever. And then I read an article about like uh, lacrosse players and try to find some kind of connection between the two of them. So I think that's more important than like the books that I've read because I haven't read many exciting books. I read David Goggins book. That was pretty solid, but I have to get back into that, that 45 minutes a day of, of, uh, of learning. I've, I've since fallen off. Yeah. And I like the, the, the one point that you mentioned, how you, you kind of tie those together. Uh, I think that's something that I think reading and I think it's, I, it's kind of weird now because reading a lot of books and like reading fast and that type of stuff is like, it's cool now. So like people want to do it, oh, but I hate it if you're not making the connection, like you said, like, and that's because that's one thing I force myself to do because I'm very type A, like I want to finish the book. Like that's the reward I get. So now I like force myself to read the chapter, read whatever, and try to connect it to something else. Like you said, with those two research articles, like trying to make a connection and trying to actually get something out of that reading. That's such a young strength coach fad that needs to, to die of posting the book that you're reading on your story and having it be a different book, like every three days. I, I don't know why. I think it's just the corniest thing ever when I see people do that. If you do that, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm pointing the finger at you, but I, yeah, you're right. Like it's sexy to, to read a lot of books, I guess now, if you're a, a strength coach, but like, what are you doing with this information? Like, is it, is it actually changing what you're programming or your coaching philosophies? Like, honestly, is it, or are you just trying to show people how dedicated you are to putting in the hours as a strength coach? Like, cool. Like you're up at four. Like I, I can't do that anymore. I did it for a while, but like, I don't do it anymore. But like, what are you doing? Like, what are you actually doing? What are you accomplishing that's going to help you get that 1% better every day? I think there's a lot of gray area there where it's just social media taking over people's days. Yeah. I think it's just like people, I, I almost think it's no better than people who are on Instagram for 10 hours a day. Yeah. And I think that, and the only, like, I'll post, I'll post the book when I finish, but I do, the reason I do that is for myself to, I did call you out. I definitely did. I just no, a little different, a little, a little different though. Let, let me defend myself a little bit here. Uh, I have, I forced myself to write a whole book write up on the post, right? The whole book write up because otherwise I won't go back and then type up everything that I highlighted. So for me, okay. it forces myself to make the connection because otherwise my type A personality and such an excuse to say that, but 
like the reward for finishing the book is like, Ooh, good job, Austin. Like you finished that book. Now it's, it almost forces me to do the exact opposite of, all right, slow down. Cause you're going to have to write a book report about this. You're going to have to write mm-hmm. like, what did you actually get out of this book? So slow down and actually get something out of it rather than trying to be like the sweet you won. Like you, you won reading a book. Who cares about that? Yeah. A lot of, uh, strength interns have to read something always. And I think that's, I think that's important. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I, I, I was a little too, too much there, but I don't know. That's how I feel. I, I think Instagram is a weird thing. I think people show off on Instagram in weird ways. I think that's a way people try to show off on Instagram and I don't like it. <laughs> I like it. I think that's the longest answer we've had for a rapid fire round and that's my fault, but I'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll try and keep it rolling. The next one is kind of, who's a guest you think we should have on the podcast? How, how can we kind of expand the horizon? Should we go down another throwing hole with any throwing uh, coaches out there? Uh, definitely uh, reach out to, to coach Logan. If you can, uh, every podcast he's been on has like made me tear up a little bit. That's really solid. Um, I definitely think you should have Sean on. I know you and Sean Don are buddies. Uh, that would definitely be a good one. I don't think you've had him on yet. Uh, he's definitely down. He's got, he's got free time. Don't let him tell you he's busy. So, yeah, those are, those are the, my two recommendations. Uh, I know you had Kidboy on. I haven't listened to that yet. That's something I need to do. So. Yeah, I like that. That's Sean. Uh, Sean's definitely won it. But, I mean, Logan's, Judd Logan's been recommended like 100 times. So definitely trying to make that connection. Like you said, every Dude, the time. Guy's, the guy's just a rock star. Every time he's on a podcast, it, it literally blows my mind. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I geek out about him as much as you geek out about him. So I totally, whenever you say his name, I'm like, yep, I understand what he's saying there. I, yep. I get it. Uh, he's, and he's just the best. The, the, the next question before I get in a whole rabbit hole about him. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of asked you this a little bit before the podcast. I really liked your answer, but what's kind of next for you? Maybe it's next year, next five years. Like, what's the next big goal? And I don't know. Uh, eventually, I'll, I will be a throws coach for a team. I don't know what, that, uh, what that'll look like or when but I'm really enjoying just learning and taking some downtime in this quarantine to just not really think about throwing and training for the first time in forever has been really nice. So I'm ready to get back into it for sure. But it was, it was nice to take a step away from everything. And uh, I've since realized that it's just time to take things in stride and the right next step will happen when I'm ready. And I'm okay with that. I like that. And I think the, you mentioned a little bit about the, quarantine, but giving you that ability to step back. And I think this is something I continue to talk to coaches about is how much growth has happened during this quarantine process, just because you took the step back out of like your own rabbit hole and your own, like living in the gym, basically every single day and being able to get a little bit bigger picture, look at the athletes, the team, and honestly what's going on with the world and like bigger picture stuff to be able to like draw that back into the smaller tiny micro world that is sports performance that I think a lot of people get completely wrapped up in. Definitely. People who aren't strength coaches who listen to this don't know how many hours strength coaches actually put in. It's like 5am to 8pm every day, all year, like no matter what. So having to go home was probably good for you. It's probably, you probably got a little more sleep than you were used to, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I think in the long run, not the actual disease itself, but the, for the field, the, 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 forced break is going to be a good thing for the field. It's gonna, I think it's going to reset a lot of people. I agree. And next question. And this is one of my favorites of the entire podcast is when all this throwing stuff is over, all the bartending is over, all this podcast stuff is over, all the sector file stuff is over. What, what kind of you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you? I cannot believe I'm a bartender. I hate that you just labeled me as a bartender because <laughs> it's so true. I, guys, I hate it. I hate, I hate people so much. I hate, the general public. Uh, what do I want my legacy to be? Uh, a bartender. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pour that Bud Light real good. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I just want people, I don't know. I definitely, looking at the smaller scale, I definitely just want my athletes to have a good college career. I don't want to get too insightful and think that like I would ever be like more impactful than that. Uh, anything more than that would be great. Like maybe I could be like that, that person that got them to do X, Y, and Z. But uh, at the end of the day, we are just a bunch of people throwing rocks in a field. And uh, if I can make my athletes really good at that one thing, that's cool. Beyond that, I just want to be an advocate for the sport. I like to highlight throwers who are doing great things outside of throwing a lot more than just uh, their PRs, like you mentioned uh, on Instagram. I like to shout out people that are actually doing things and throwing far, not just uh, 
the people who have all the records. I think that's way more important. And that's, that's how our, our field's going to grow, getting away from just uh, highlighting and praising all of the, the maxes and the, the sexy stuff on Instagram, all the big lifts and stuff. Highlighting all the real things, I think, is, is more important. So both in my own community at UNH, making people throw as far as they can and building our community up. That's, that, that'd be a good legacy. I'd be happy to, to end on that one. I like that. And then this last question, um, kind of your billboard message for somebody that's in a valley. Um, maybe they are working the job that they really don't like. Like what's kind of your message for them to make sure they keep going, to make sure they keep that light at the end of the tunnel in their vision? I mean, I guess the easy one is that it's going to end. You know, it's, it's going to end eventually. You'll find like you'll, you'll figure it out. But I'm sure people that are listening to this podcast, if you've, they made it to this far, I think we have probably two people left. I probably blabbed too much. But if you're one of those two people left and this, this, this is you, like you're definitely a type A person. You're definitely the kind of person who is going to find a way to make something happen. Like you, you probably always have, you, you're either that strength coach or you love the weight room or you just think uh, Austin's really good looking. That's why you listen to the podcast um, or some combination of all of them. But uh, you're the kind of person who's going to be able to figure it out and just uh, just try to find the best in every situation, as cliche as that sounds, and take something from it. Because even the worst jobs that I've worked, like I've, I was a personal trainer for a while, that was terrible. Uh, I still learned from that. You know what I mean? Even if it was only a couple of months, like you're still going to take things away from that. Even if it's just, I never want to work in this gig ever again. That's completely something that you can take away and have that be your only takeaway. But I bet you'll find some other stuff too. So really just don't be so in the moment when uh when you're at work and you're like god this sucks uh because like when i'm bartending at work and or even when i'm not bartending at work when people stop me or i get straight up a conversation when i'm out to dinner or whatever they're like what do you do i'm a throws coach i'm not a bartender like that's what i do like even though i haven't coached a thrower since march i'm a throws coach that's my identity so if you're in that bad scenario just like make yourself what you are like it's not you lying about anything it's just you picturing yourself in a better scenario in the best case scenario or, or being more real with yourself than just being labeled as this is what I do. Cause you're more than that. I love it. Coach two washed up hammer throwers and now coaches made it through an hour and 15 minutes on a podcast. We made it that that flew by. Does people normally say that? Yep. Yep. Hopefully, hopefully they, hopefully they keep saying it, but thanks for being on coach. Yeah, dude. Thanks so much. Boom. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.